Welcome to Local Motion on KVNF. I'm Cassie Knust. On this Local Motion, Rocky Mountain Radio's managing editor, Maeve Conran, looks to the skies. This regional roundup report looks at a recent AstroFest in southeast Utah, as well as discussions around trauma from school shootings, COVID, and climate change. Later, you'll hear from DACA recipients as they read excerpts of their monologues from the Modus Theater Troupe. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Regional Roundup, a production of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, a network of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico including this one. I'm Maeve Conran, the Coalition's Managing Editor, and today we'll hear about stargazers in southeast Utah. Oh, oh my God! I didn't see it. If, if you didn't see it, don't worry about it. Oh my God! That had a green tail. Dreamers in Colorado, DACA recipients still living with uncertainty about their immigration status, and wanting to have their voices heard. When I was a kid growing up in Colorado, I was told, you can be anything you want to be if you work hard enough. Dream, dream big. What they didn't tell me was that there is an immigration checkpoint at the gate to Fantasyland. And how to deal with the trauma of living with the existential threat of the climate crisis. For many other people, including particularly children, are keenly aware of the dangers that are coming with climate change. From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, it's the Regional Roundup. Stargazers from around the region gathered in southeast Utah in mid-June for AstroFest. That's an astronomy event held at three international dark sky parks. Canyonlands National Park, Arches National Park, and Dead Horse Point State Park. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Emily Arnston reports. The public was invited to come out to the parks to learn about summertime constellations and take a peek at some supernovas and planets through the telescopes. What is AstroFest all about? So AstroFest kind of started first and foremost for just us linking together as a couple of international dark sky parks that surround the Moab area. This is Austin Kelly, ranger at Canyonlands National Park. Just get people out here to experience this. You know, a lot of people have not seen the Milky Way. This is their first experience here and having this event where they can come out, see a ranger program, see really unique telescope setups and just really unique things in the night sky was kind of the big thing. We have a lot of folks who maybe don't realize that we're an international dark sky park and we have partners like the city of Moab that's starting to become that. So just trying to raise that awareness is a really important resource, something we're actively protecting and and something really cool and facilitating people seeing that. Is Canyonlands a special spot to see stars? Yeah, I would say certainly due to the geography and where we're located with Moab being kind of the largest city here, we're really fortunate that we have very little light pollution. Um, So we're definitely one of the darker places in the lower 48 for sure. One of the darker places here in Utah, again, just because we're in this really remote country, uh, especially if you think of some of the districts of Canyonlands, like we're going out to the maze where there's going to be like three light bulbs from the Hans Flat Ranger Station. That's one of the darkest places that you can kind of experience here in Utah. Um, Certainly one of the most remote. So yeah, really special. 
special for that. Why is it important to preserve the night sky? First and foremost, I would just say because it's really cool, right? It helps to center ourselves in this vast universe that we live in. So many people, about two thirds of people in the United States do not get these views. They have, live in light polluted skies where that light is going up, hitting little things of water, gas, and spreading out where they can't see the Milky Way. Sometimes they're only seeing the moon. But in Canyonlands, it's also really important for the cultural aspect and the history that's tied there. You know, we have 26 affiliated tribes here in Canyonlands. And them and the people that came before them, the ancestral Pablones as we know them today, they had really intimate connections with the night sky, whether it was for practical reasons like navigation, figuring out when you're planting or something like that, but even for cultural and spiritual things that even, you know, through a Western kind of lens that we're looking through, we can even only just begin to understand. And all of those associated and affiliated tribes, when we come to them, their interpretation of some of the structures and other things we have here is that they have those connections to the night sky. Um, and that's just here in Canyonlands, right? If we go to other national parks, we have thing like, things like Harriet Tubman National Historic Site, where they have a more modern interpretation and connection with the night sky of enslaved people getting to freedom. So for me, I think it's that cultural connection we have here. Earlier, we had been looking at a new supernova in the Pinwheel Galaxy. The reason we were looking at it a lot now in the last couple of nights is because there's actually a supernova, which is a star at the end of its life, where we can see this really bright star that showed up May 19th. So it's really new, super cool. Um, and it even ties back to some of those cultural connections where we have some petroglyphs and pictographs, not here, but in areas like Chaco National Historic Park, where they believe that that's from a nebula that the ancestral Babylonians were seeing. How could they you were depicting see it? that. It was so bright, it was visible with a naked eye for that one, which that is, is insane. So cool. At least from the interpretation I yeah. heard, it would have been visible during the day. Which is what? insane. But yeah, the one that we have in the pinwheel, it's just cool because it's like active astronomy, right? I think it's really easy for us to be like, oh, whatever, the stars from millions of years ago but we're like hey you know the light from that star from 2600 light years away it's here now and we're seeing the supernova which is really cool and that's a month old for our human eyes that's super neat okay wait but that did happen a long time ago it did happen yes. a long time ago but we're just new to now us. seeing new and it's us. new to us as a human culture living on the planet earth this new supernova happened about 21 million years ago Canyonlands National Park Ranger Road Smart put that timeline into context for me. What was happening 20 million years ago? When we look to Moab, we actually get the carving of the canyons here at Canyonlands. And so the light um, has taken that long to travel and finally hits us. And, you know, it was happening at the same time that the canyons were forming. So here in Canyonlands, you can look at not only astronomical history, but geologic history at the same time. While I was talking to Arches National Park Ranger Kyle Ackerman, I saw probably one of the best shooting stars I have ever seen in my life. Right, of like these swirls. Oh, <gasps> oh my God! I didn't see it. If, if you didn't see it, don't worry about it. Oh my God! That had a green tail. Why was it green? That was beautiful. I'll I don't know the exact chemical, but oftentimes whatever is burning up in the atmosphere may have certain elements in it that will burn up and turn colors in the atmosphere because it's all friction. I mean, it's rubbing against that and creating such heat that all of those elements are combusting. So I'm not sure what it was, but it was beautiful. <laughs> you can catch Emily Arnston's full report from AstroFest at kzmu.org. Dr. James Gordon is renowned for his work in healing population-wide psychological trauma. He's the author of Transforming Trauma, The Path to Hope and Healing, and he founded the Centre for Mind-Body Medicine, which works in numerous war zones around the world and in communities here in the US. 
Dr Gordon was the keynote speaker at Boulder's Highland Institute on June 26th when he spoke about his recent work in Ukraine as well as his work in communities here in America. Well, we've, we've worked in the U.S. in, uh, in, in cities and uh, places, counties, where there has been massive trauma from school shootings, for example, or other mass shootings, for example, the mass shooting in Las Vegas that killed 54 people. We've been working with the Capitol Police uh, following the January 6, 2020 insurrection, uh, which injured so many of them and traumatized the whole police force. What happens um, is that the, if you think about the, the continuation of the fight or flight and the freeze response, if those are not addressed early on, they continue and they produce symptoms that are entirely predictable. So high levels of anxiety, for example, if you're in continual fight or flight, decreased ability to concentrate, troubled sleep, that's one of the main ones that comes up, irritability. When I was talking with people from the Capitol Police, um, we were, I was a, a kind of a group of about 15 men and women. And they talked about it. They, they said, you know, my wife says I'm a pain in the butt since the, since the interest. She's sympathetic to me, but she says I'm very difficult for her. And she's right. I'm irritable with her. I'm irritable with the kids. Um, so those kinds of symptoms continue. And also the emotional withdrawal, the shutdown, the isolation, that also can continue. I've seen that a lot. We've worked a lot with U.S. veterans, and we've seen the, how isolated they've become because of the significant trauma. But all of us, I think this is important to know that everybody in this country was more or less traumatized by the COVID pandemic. I don't know anyone who wasn't significantly affected. We did a, a number of groups online with people who were healthcare providers, with people who were, you know, just ordinary people in communities all over the United States. And they described the um, the, the sort of preoccupation and the fear that had taken taken over their lives and the constraints that came about because of COVID and the deaths, particularly among people of color. Uh, I don't know any adult Black person who didn't lose somebody who was close to them, friend or family member, or any of our, um, we work a lot with Indigenous people. We've had a major program on Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. We've been working in the Southwest and the Midwest and, 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 and many places with Indigenous people. All of them suffered significant losses during COVID. And every family, every family had to cope with the kids being at home. So everybody was affected. And what happened is, Again, it's predictable. More irritability, more fear, more uncertainty about the future, and, and old illnesses resurface. But that kind of that kind of global trauma, no, we're not, we, were, we did not have a war, but over a million people died in this country. Here in the Rocky Mountain region, of course, we've had our own share of mass traumatic events like the the shootings you mentioned they're working with different communities that have been subjected to that and and of course it's it's a constant reality for children going to school with the lockdowns but another thing that just strikes me as as I'm listening to you talk about just living with this fight or flight uh, you know, situation is what's happening with the climate. And and here in the Rocky Mountain region, we're living with increased fires, wildfires at all times of the years. Is that something that you're seeing trauma related to now, what's happening with the climate crisis? Yes, it's a great question. 
And we've, we've been working in communities um, that have been affected by climate-related disasters from 2005. We began working after Hurricane Katrina uh, in New Orleans and Southern Louisiana, and then in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake, in California after the wildfires, and uh, in Houston after Hurricane Harvey, and then back in Puerto Rico after the, after the hurricanes and the earthquake. It's, it's affecting everyone. And now, now that it's, it's coming home to people in Broward County, Florida, we began working there because of the school shooting in Parkland, but people are becoming very sensitized to climate change because of, because of flooding. Uh, I see climate change as traumatizing and I see it potentially as a wake up call. We've got to pay attention. There is the temptation to go into the freeze mode because of climate change. Let me shut down. I don't want to believe it. It's not going to happen. We're going to find all the technological answers. I don't have to do anything. I don't want to hear about it. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It may not be as simple or as <laughs> quite as stark as I presented it, but clearly a large number of people don't want to see what's going on. It, and it is traumatizing. On the other hand, um, so many other people, including particularly children, are keenly aware of the dangers that are coming with climate change. And you know, we're very eager to work with groups that are that are working on uh, environmental issues because it's really important that this consciousness of the damage that climate change is doing and can do, that this consciousness be there and that people have the tools to deal with the anxiety and the fear and the tendency to sort of hide from it that comes because they don't know what to do. I think the, the goal here is to help people come into balance so they can really use all of their intelligence and all of their intuition and all of their sense of compassion and caring for the next generations as well as themselves to mobilize themselves. But you have to be in some kind of state of psychological balance to be able to both recognize that and do something about it. Well, Dr. James Gordon is the author of Transforming Trauma, The Path to Hope and Healing. He's also the founder and chief executive officer of the Centre for Mind Body Medicine. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you, Maeve. It's great to be here with you. You can catch Dr. Gordon's talk online at highlandcityclub.com slash institute. You're listening to the Regional Roundup from the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition. I'm Maeve Conlon. The Colorado State Legislature recently passed a measure to prohibit state and local governments within Colorado from participating in the immigrant detention industry. While this new law may provide a measure of relief to undocumented or temporarily authorised immigrants who are living here in the region, lawmakers elsewhere are challenging hard-won gains. That includes Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. That's a federal programme that gives temporary legal protection to some undocumented immigrants who were brought here as children. The Boulder-based Motus Theatre's UndocuAmerica Monologues project shares the personal stories of these immigrants with the wider community. 
back in 2019 to DACA recipients shared their monologues and their personal stories on KGNU. First, we'll hear an excerpt from the monologue by Victor Galvan. And the truth is, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'll be kicked out of the place that I've lived my entire life. And I'm afraid that if I'm deported, my roots may not take to the new place that I'm deported to. That's not easy to admit because I'm an immigrant rights leader here in Colorado. And my battle cry is and has always been that I'm undocumented and unafraid. But every few months, there's another announcement from the Attorney General or the Department of Justice. And yet, another attack on our community. The phone just keeps ringing in my office at the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition with terrified people just looking for help. Not long ago, this father was picked up at his home under an order of removal here in Colorado. And within 36 hours, before we could really organize a resistance, he had been moved to Texas and then to New Mexico. And in New Mexico, they forced him to sign a voluntary departure. I saw the paper that he had signed. It was grotesque. It was completely crumpled. You could see that there were lines everywhere. I don't know what they did to him, but he's not the kind of man who would have left his wife and four children without a fight. And looking at this broken signature, I'm afraid that a fight with a few detention guards is exactly what they gave him. And the hardest thing is that these deportations, these human rights abuses, are being done on such a massive scale that the individual people start to bleed into an abyss, and each unique case stops to matter. And that hurts, because each of those people is a very real person, with real dreams, real dreams like mine. I'm here. I was brave. I was funny. I cared. I matter. Is it okay to tear me out of bed and away from my family in the middle of the night? Are you going to believe that I'm scum that doesn't deserve compassion? When I was a kid growing up in Colorado, I was told, you can be anything you want to be if you work hard enough. Dream. Dream big. What they didn't tell me was that there is an immigration checkpoint at the gate to Fantasyland. Armando Peniche also shared his monologue on KGNU back in 2019. Here's an excerpt. After school, or nice days, I would skip the second bus and just walk. My dad was still at work and my sister at her after-school activity, so I was in no rush to get home to an empty house. On my way home, I would use the concrete dividers on the sidewalk as measure, and I would count. I would take this time to practice my music lessons for cello, so each step was a note. So I would count. One. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. For shorter sections, one, two, three, four. And longer sections, one, and two, and three, and four. And I had my music teacher in my head the whole time telling me, Come on, Armando, stay on the beat. Stay on the beat. So I was counting along when suddenly there were blue and red lights flashing across the sidewalk and an angry voice yelling at me, Stop! Freeze! I was totally confused. Two cops coming at me, hands on their guns, yelling at me. I was freaking out. Like, what did I do wrong? My mom was going through a 
mess of different emotions because as an undocumented person, the last thing you want to do, the very, very, very last thing you want to do is get into trouble. Even a simple traffic violation can lead to deportation. So I was like, what happened? What could it have been? Did I forget to pay the bus driver? But no way. I remember paying David. He gave me a bus transfer. And he would never call the cops on me even if I did forget. So the cops were yelling at me to turn around and put my hands up. I'm only 12, so I'm putting up my hands. I'm struggling to understand what's going on. When the second cop physically spun me around, he put his hands in my pocket, taking everything I had out. My gum, the coins left over from the arcade, my bus transfer, and my student ID. He yanked my arms tight behind my back and handcuffed me. I was in shock, totally confused and terrified. And then with some kind of kill logic, I thought, wait, is it my hair? See, back then I didn't have any money for regular haircuts, so I cut my own hair. And as you can imagine with a 12-year-old, it didn't turn out so well. I would always put on the number four clip and cut it all even to get rid of the patches. Oh well, at least it's even. But no way, can't be my hair. They dumped all my books out of my backpack onto the sidewalk and searched every pocket. They were looking for something they couldn't find and that's when it hit me. They stopped me because of what I look like. It's the color of my skin. They think I'm some kind of criminal they, they're looking for. And I can't believe they're doing this. What if they take me to jail and my dad has to come get me? Will he need an ID? I'm thinking, oh, can they deport my dad? They pushed me down, grabbed my student ID, and went back to their car, leaving me on the street handcuffed. They must have left me there alone for over 20 minutes, running my ID through some database. And while I sat on that curb, all these cars were going by with people looking at me, pointing at me like I stole something or I robbed somebody. They assumed the cops were making the city safer for them, stopping a thief. I wanted to get up and yell, stop, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Why are you doing this to me? And I can't explain to you even now how dirty and ashamed I felt sitting there with everybody looking at me like I was some criminal. Finally, the cops came out of their car, threw my stuff in my backpack, and uncuffed me. One handed me my ID and said the most ironic thing I've ever heard. Stay out of trouble. No apology, nothing. Those were excerpts of the monologues performed by Armando Peniche and Victor Galvan, part of Motus Theatre. They were performing there on KGNU back in 2019. But more recently, Armando and Victor were back in the KGNU studios. They were speaking with news director Shannon Young about the ongoing uncertainty that they face as DACA recipients. Armando Peniche says even in the best of circumstances, living with DACA forces one to plan one's life in two-year increments. DACA is a renewable um, permit, 
but you have to renew it every two years, right? So me, Armando, was a DACA recipient. I can't plan to buy a house in five years from now, right? Because I don't know what I'll be in two years. Or school, right? Kind of like, okay, I'm going to go to a four-year school, but you don't even know if you're going to be here for two more years, right? So it's a huge challenge being in that, like living your life two years at a time while also trying to maintain a perfect life. You know, like we all, of course, should strive to stay out of trouble, live a perfect life. People make mistakes, you know, it's human nature, you know, but in, and it's just a lot of pressure at times for people like, okay, like you have to be a model citizen, live a perfect life, or in two years you might be gone, you know, and it, it takes a toll mentally, physically, emotionally. One of those elements of uncertainty is the pending ruling in a court case heard by U.S. District Judge Andrew Hainan. Modus Theater monologist Victor Galvan says this particular judge has a history of ruling against expanding legal protections for immigrants. Judge Hainan, he has been a, a tool and a, a strong arm for the conservatives in this country to move against executive orders like Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals and uh, DAPA, which is the same program but for parents and immediately um, being challenged in the courts. I mean, DACA has been challenged in the courts by this specific judge many a times, and now the higher courts have said we're going to let the, the lower courts rule. So it's now in his, his playing field, and he's warming up to end this program. And I don't want to set fear in my community, but I also want to make sure that we're we're pivoting when we need to and preparing ourselves. So. Um, people need to be prepared um, if this program ends, what this may mean for their life. Action from Congress could provide legal protections for the DACA program and a counterweight to judicial rulings. But Congress has failed to pass comprehensive immigration reform measures for around three decades. Victor Galvan says both political parties have used the tenuous circumstances of millions of undocumented immigrants for political gains. And speaking directly to community members may be a more effective option for shifting the narrative. We are given hopes by the progressives, um, threatened by the conservatives, and then they pressure each other with those notions in order to make political gains with their bases. And so I think there's a lot of people who are having their heartstrings plucked in one way or the other for the the gains of one political party or both. And so we really need to understand each other here. I'm not reaching out to my community because they know what it's like to live in my shoes. They know. I'm reaching out to the other side for those of, uh, the, those of our community that either refuse to learn or have no experiences that put them in that position to learn what it's like to be an immigrant in this country. And so this is why we do our monologues, why we perform across the state and now internationally, because we want to help people understand what it's like to live this kind of life, Um, help people understand that we are so much more alike than we are different and that we're striving for the same thing. We want to survive. We want to thrive. We want to build community. And I think there's these very pivotal moments in our monologues where people's eyes open and they realize how wrong they were to judge someone for the decisions that they made, how incredibly similar our paths are and how our humanity coincides in that way. 
that we want a better life for our community, for our friends, for our family, and that we're, we're all wrestling with this political football that is not working for any of us. So I am reaching out to those folks who are cheering on our conservative counterparts who want to see us gone. Because I know that I'm living in the same neighborhood where we have crappy water quality. We're, we're living in the same communities where we're breathing the bad air, where our taxes are not being used for good, where our, we're being pitted against each other for jobs, where we're not being paid enough. All of these problems are so universal to our bases. And for some reason, someone's whispering in their ear and turning them against their neighbor. And we need to fight that. I know that everyone that has um, worked against us can find common ground with us. And that's all we want is common ground to work for progress. That was Victor Galvan and Armando Peniche, Partnerships and Project Manager for Modus Theater. For KGNU, I'm Shannon Young. You can hear the full interview with Armando and Victor at news.kgnu.org. And you can find out more about the Motus Theatre monologues at motustheatre.org. You've been listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico. Thanks to Emily Arnston of KZMU in Moab, Shannon Young of KGNU in Boulder and Denver, and the Modus Theatre Monologists. Our theme music is Take Me Somewhere by Joel Adam Russell. I'm Maeve Conran. Thanks for listening. You just heard from Rocky Mountain Radio's managing editor, Maeve Conran. You can listen to this interview again online under the Local Motion tab on kvnf.org. For KVNF, I'm Cassie Knust.